to James. We're looking at James chapter 3. We're finishing up this chapter. And uh, before we read God's Word, let's pray. Lord God, we thank You um, for Your goodness and Your your revelation to us, You speaking to us through this special revelation, Your Word recorded, spoken and recorded through Your prophets and apostles. Lord, we thank You that we have it before us, that You have, you have caused it to be written and You have preserved it through the millennium. And we open the Scripture, and though it's not a, an original script, it is a reliable copy, and we know that. And You, because You, Holy Spirit, have preserved it. And You, we pray that You would now uh, illuminate it, uh, give us uh, ears to hear, and that we would know You, know Your Word, uh, understand your love, understand the way in which you would have us to go, and the manner in which you would have us to live our lives, and that we would um, that this we would know that this uh, that your word, your law, is the law of life, the law of liberty, and uh, Lord, help us to see it as in that way, and uh, we pray you would do that in this hour in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, James three thirteen through eighteen. Hear God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, Demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Back in the beginning of James, in James 1, verses 26 through 27, uh, we told you that we, we there in those verses see an outline for the rest of the book. Um, he tells us how to be doers of the word and what are they supposed to do. And he says in 26 and 27, we're to bridle the tongue, visit orphans and widows, and keep oneself unstained from the world. And uh, as uh, pastor teacher Motier uh, has put it, uh, he says that what it is to live a Christian life is to have a controlled tongue, a caring ministry, and a holy life. And we've covered, we've covered the first two. Uh, he starts with the caring ministries. He talks about the sin of partiality and, and caring for the orphan and widow, but also uh, caring for people, whether wh- whoever they are, rich, poor, like you, unlike you, that we're not to show that partiality. We're to love people regardless and give everyone respect and love, uh, loving our neighbor as ourself. Also, uh, we are to show good works through our deeds. We are to, it's, it's an action. It's a relational uh, thing. We are to love those around us. It's not just a profession. It is, how are we loving? Are we loving well? Are we providing uh, clothing and needs to the poor? Are we exhibiting 
uh, good works in our life. Not to be saved, but showing that our faith is genuine. And then chapter 3, the first part last week we looked at, taming the tongue and how we really need God's you know, we can't do it. We, in and of ourselves, cannot change that about ourselves. Because out, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we can't change our hearts, but there is one who can. Uh, it is Jesus Christ. It's His Word, it's, as His speech uh, infiltrates our hearts more and more, as our own thoughts about who we are and, and our self-speech, uh, as that voice quiets and we hear the Spirit, the Word of God more and more, then the overflow will be we will speak well of God and well of one another. And, and so that's how that transforms. Now we get to, in these next few sections, this mark of the uns- a life unstained from the world or holy living. And we're beginning that here in uh, 13 through 18. Um, he talks about holy living um, as being a, a, you know, something that flows out of having wisdom and knowledge. And so we're going to look into that more deeply and how that plays out. So here are three points. First, we see the measure of true wisdom and knowledge. In verse 13, the measure of true wisdom and knowledge. Secondly, we see the results and motives of false wisdom. That's in 14 through 16. And then finally, we see the fruitfulness and peace of true wisdom. The measure of true wisdom and knowledge, the results and motives of false wisdom, and finally the fruitfulness and peace of true wisdom. So let's start with the measure of true wisdom and knowledge. What is wisdom? Well, um, as you saw in the beginning of the bulletin there, in our uh, reflection, the beginning of wisdom is what? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. That sounds kind of uh, harsh. I don't want to be afraid of God. God is my friend. He's the lover of my soul. He's my, he's, my, he's my good shepherd. He's my keeper. What does it mean to fear Him? It doesn't mean that as a Christian that we fear His uh, reprisal or fear His disapproval. No, we, we are accepted. We talked about this in the new members class. We are fully accepted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. His righteousness is credited to us and He looks upon us with love and and. And, 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 and he adores us and cares for us. But we look to God and recognize we are his creatures and he is the creator. He is the one that has made us. He is the one that dictates reality. And we serve him. We are under him. And we are in awe of him. It's that kind of fear of, wow, he is holy, holy, holy. He is other than us. And to further kind of put us in awe even more, he, he decides to love us and decides to know us and to be in our lives. And that just makes us more in awe of the might, the glory, the mercy, the grace, all that is God. We, we live in submission and fear of, and recognize him as king and the authority over our lives. Not in a, not in a kind of cowering way, but just, wow. Look at God, and we are subjected, submitting to Him and His Word. So, what does it mean to fear Him? It means we, we, we recognize Him as our authority, not as a 
someone who's harsh, but just as a wonderful, gracious king, and we willingly submit to him. Uh, So another way of talking about wisdom is just living in obedience to our gracious God. Living in obedience to his word. That's, That's wisdom. Well, what is knowledge? Who is wise and understanding? Or who, is, who has wisdom and has knowledge among you? Well, what is knowledge? It's, is it retaining content? You know? You know, like sometimes we do, students. You, know, you just cram right for the test. And as soon as the test is over, hey, do you remember what... They, no, I don't remember anything about the test. You know, have you ever done that? Um, can you make an A? And like, I, you know, the next 30 minutes later, like, I don't know what was on question three. I have no idea. I put C. I hope that was right. Anyway, but, uh, but is it just, but say you really do know something. Is it just retaining content? Is it expertise on a subject? Is that knowledge? It is, but it's, it's more than that. Remember, remember in Genesis 4 um, what to know means when it says, then Adam knew Eve. <laughs> okay? So, again, that's not just a, a euphemism for a physical relationship. But it's talking about this beautiful reality of, of marriage being this knowledge at its deepest level. Uh, knowledge at its deepest level is living out a deep personal relationship. Uh, marriage... According to Motier, he says, Marriage exemplifies true knowledge. It also shows that knowledge is pretty dramatically life-changing. And if you're married or you found somebody and you do life together, it changes you. And so when we think about wisdom and knowledge, knowledge isn't just, I, I, I can give you chapter and verse of, a, of you know, you know, certain passages. It's, I know God. I have a deep personal relationship with him. And so what you realize is that being wise and having understanding in this, in this context, they're both relational, aren't they? It's both connected to our relationship with God. I, I look to God. I am awe, in awe of him. He made me. He's redeemed me. I submit to him. And, and it's, it's, I'm submitting to, the, to my king and creator. But also, knowledge of his word doesn't just mean I can quote chapter and verse, but I know him. I'm pursu- I, I pursue him because he's first pursued me. I love him because he first loved me. And so it's not just, I know how to do life well. I know a lot about the scripture but I'm submitting to God and His Word, and I know Him, have a personal relationship with Him. So who, who is obeying God's Word and submitting to God? Who knows God and has a relationship with Him? By His good conduct, let Him show His works in the meekness of wisdom. <clears throat> So what is the measure of true wisdom and knowledge? Um, how is it made known? Well, here it says, good, good conduct. Uh, other translations put it, good, uh, good living. And, and I, want, I want you to realize that there's two, there's two, uh, two Greek words for good. Uh, one is agathos, which um, 
means like intrinsic good, like goodness, like a moral intrinsic goodness. And you might think that's what's used here. Because, you know, of course, God is good. He's intrinsically good. There's no bad or evil in him. But it's the other one. It's the word, it's the word kalos, which is, has an idea of like the aesthetic. Like when you um, go to your favorite restaurant and get a steak, you go, man, that's good. Uh, when, you, when you see a, a sunset and you go, that's good. It's a beauty. It's lovely. It's, it's, it, it draws you to it. You're, you're in awe of it. And it's that word, that, in, that, that kind of aesthetic goodness, that's what's used when it says the good shepherd. Uh, it, it's, it's a good, it's a life that's good and it's in accordance with the scripture, but it's a life that's beautiful, that's lovely, that draws you in. That's, it's that kind of good. It's the way we normally think about good, the way we normally use it. So it's, a, it's not just an obedient life. And again, th- okay, I want to point that out because, again, and we keep coming back to this, we think about the law, we think about obedience as just something kind of cut and dry, black and white. It's, but what is the law according to James? It's the, it's the law of liberty. It's, the, it's, it's life. And life abundantly. It's not just do right. But it's, it's the good life. It's the beautiful life. And we have to keep, I think we have to keep bringing that about. What is it to be wise? To live according to God's wisdom. And to, to be wise and to, and to know Him. It means to live a good, beautiful life. Well, how do you do that? What is a good life? You know, you might expect next, okay, tell me what to do to live a good life. Give me the things. But he doesn't give us any verbs. You go, well, what are the... Okay, so you don't give me verbs. Give me some nouns. What are the... What are, give me a list of things I'm supposed to be. He doesn't do that. What he does, he gives us an adverb. He describes how we are to live a good life. And what does he say? With meekness. Live a good life in the meekness of wisdom. And we just talked about that. I just, you know, we, when, we, when we plan the service, we try to make sure that, you know, the call to worship and the confession of faith that we're, we're getting at, you know, it's kind of tying to the text. And, and, but with wisdom, with recognizing that I am a creature of God, that God made me, that I am His, that He has redeemed me, He has purchased me by His blood, that I am not, I'm no longer um, thinking that I've got life figured out. I'm no longer, life is about my my uh, my way and my rights and me figuring out life for my own and you you bending to my will. Now, if I recognize and I'm, hum- I'm actually humbled by the gospel... I become meek in the way I go about obeying God. Meekness. James uses it first in, in, in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. 
One theologian describes meekness as self-subduing gentleness. Self-subduing gentleness. I'm going to, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to acknowledge that okay, my way, my thoughts, my rights are not most important. I'm going to restrain and listen and receive and not try to dictate. Receive the Word of God. Receive that. And so, as we go about living a good life and doing right things, it has to be a, a, a good life, not just a intrinsically morally good, but a beautiful life is one where you're obeying and serving, but doing it in the manner in which is Christ-like, which is meek. Can you obey God's Word without being meek? Well, we can't. We do it a lot, don't we? God commanded me to discipline my children. Ask me if I've ever done that in a not meek way. Yes. God commanded you children to obey your parents. Have you ever done that, say, with an attitude or reluctantly? Yes. <laughs> Have you ever obeyed God's word and thought, you know... I'm doing this because then people will think I'm a good Christian. Or people will think, oh, yeah, Grant really should be a preacher, so I need to do this. <laughs> that's not with meekness. That's actually with out of selfish ambition and pride. And so, you know, you go like, well, if, did that even need to be said, James? Yes. <laughs> that we... To have wisdom and to, and to understand, to know God and submit to Him is to carry out a life, to obey His Word and to, and to, and to try to apply His Word all of life in meekness, in humility toward God and gentleness with one another. That this meekness is directed toward God as we receive His Word and toward our neighbor as we do life together. That's the measure of true weakness. I mean, of true wisdom and knowledge is a good, good living, beautiful living in meekness. But then he gives us this picture. He talks about, okay, this is what wisdom is, but let me tell you what it's not. And that brings us to the second point, the results and motives of false wisdom. Look with me at, at uh, verses... Um, Verse 15, we're going to kind of do a little out of order here, but verse 15 says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And I'm so glad that's not all he gives us here. Don't be earthly, don't be unspiritual, don't act in a demonic way. It, nobody wants that, right? If I go, hey, do you want to be earthly? Earthly? Well, I live on earth. But now, do you want to be like... Worldly? No, we're not supposed to be worldly. Do you want to be unspiritual? Like, no, I want the Spirit to work in my life. Uh, do you want to do and act in a way that's demonic? Really no to that. But how do we know? Sometimes we can act, think we're acting in wisdom and knowledge and we miss the mark. Well, how, what, how, do we, how do we know what's earthly and unspiritual and demonic? Well, we have to look at the results. And what are the results? 
the works that flow out of this false wisdom. Look at verse 16. Disorder in every vile practice. Disorder in every vile practice. So how do you know if you're acting out of a false wisdom where you look at the state of your, of your, of your life, your family, your church? And when you're living out of that, according to that false earthly wisdom, that demonic wisdom, you're going to see disorder. You're going to see restlessness, instability, strife, disturbance in the fellowship. You're going to see every vile practice. You're going to see meanness in thought and word and deed. You're going to see people doing whatever it takes to get their agenda through, no matter who it hurts or who's involved. Um... A quote from The Office, uh, if you've never watched it, the, the main character, Michael Scott, always misquotes things, gets things messed up. He goes, he says, sometimes the ends justify the mean. You get it? It's like, I had to be mean to get what I want. Sometimes the ends justify the mean. He didn't get it. He didn't understand. But uh, sometimes we act that way, don't we? <laughs> And where that's happening, where people are just, you know, it's me over everyone else. And you know what? I'm looking around this church and that's not, that's not happening. Which is, praise God. But some of you have worked and been in offices like that. Some of you have gone through seasons in your family like that. Or you know people like that that are just, man, there's just disorder and chaos and, and bad decisions left and right. You know, um, meanness. Because why? Why is that? Why does those sins manifest? Why does disunity and disharmony and, and, and vile practices happen? Well, it goes back to the motives. And look what he says. What brings these about? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy. Sharp, antagonistic spirit of self-concern. Me first. Me and mine. My agenda. You know, jealousy in the Bible, is, that's not in itself a bad thing. It's being passionate. It's being, having a, 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 an intense desire for something. And God is jealous over us. But when you put that word with it, bitter or salty, it's used, you know, it talks about just in the, in the passage above, it talks about, that, um, talks about the tongue that uh, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, a bitter pond. You know, when we have that bitterness... That, that, that jealousy over what I want and what my agenda, man, that's, that's, that's devastating to, you, to your relationships, the people around you. And selfish ambition is just, you know, it, again, uh, it creates divisions, a party spirit, cliques, and community. If you're living in a way... Where as you look at the results of your life and you see that, you see uh, disorder and vile practice, if, if you realize that your life is just a mess, then he's going, you need to realize that I think you're not listening to the right sources. You're not really in touch with true wisdom. You are acting not out of a wisdom from above, a wisdom from God, you're acting just out of your own sinful, selfish desires. You know what it says uh, that brings us to back to this uh, 
wonderful quote by C.S. Lewis. He says what? Uh, Education without values, as useful as it is, seems rather to make a man more clever devil. That when we grow in knowledge of the world and knowledge of things and... But if we're not submitting, if we have not wisdom, not submitting to God's Word and knowing Him, it doesn't, we're really not growing in wisdom. We're just, it's, it's a false wisdom. And so he's saying, he, he's, it's kind of a, a litmus test question. He goes, who is wise among you? Do, are you? Are you living out of bitterness or selfish ambition if that's the case, don't do not boast and be false to the truth. As he says that in verse 14. If, if your life is characterized by this, if you look in your heart and that's what's leading you and that's what's shaping your life and it's resulting in disorder and disunity and lack of community and fellowship and, and a party spirit, if that's, what's, if that's happening, don't boast as though you're wise. Like, it's a, this is a call to repentance. This isn't, well, too bad. I guess you're not one of those wise, understanding people. This is, he's talking to, who is, who is James writing to? The church. You know, so I, we hear all the time people go, I just, we just need to get back to that early church, first century church. Have you read the epistles? Some messed up folks. They've got problems. And just like them, we struggle to differentiate what is true wisdom. Because, look, okay, think about it. When you become, when you, have you ever talked to an expert about something? We have some experts in here about different things. We have some expert engineers, some expert builders. We have um, expert in dentistry and I just saw you thank you I feel good now yeah alright no cavities anyway um, that's not my notes I just came up with that anyway uh, it's true and uh, but we have experts okay what's the tendency when we're an expert at something what what do we tend to do we tend to become what spiteful I know you don't know it all yeah and here we have knowledge and wisdom. If it's true knowledge and wisdom, it's not going to yield in disorder and arguments and divisions. It's going to yield what? That brings us to our third point. It's going to bring fruitfulness and peace to our fellowship. That's what it's going to bring. Fruitfulness and peace. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Remember how I said that the very concepts of, of wisdom and knowledge is relational? It's, it's, it's about a relationship with God. I want to know Him. I, I want to acknowledge Him and submit to Him and know Him more and more. Living out, being wise, it's manifested, it's made known through how you relate you can't know if someone is wise and understanding if they're not in relationship in community. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the, these 
these fruit, the fruits of the Spirit manifest themselves. The fruits of righteousness manifest in, in the community of Christ. And, and James is going, look, you're, you're sinners and you're struggling. You're all works in progress. We all are. That's what, you know, in Philippians, you know, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. That means you are a work in progress. You're not there yet. There's like scaffolding and rebar sticking out. Okay, we all look like that. And, um, and he's working on us, but... But there will be this fruit as we relate. As we look to Him and know Him, we will begin to be meek and, and, and be conformed to His image. We'll be pure, holy as He is pure. We're, we're not trying to act out of our own, our own thoughts and desires, but we're depending and leaning on God and His Word. Pure, peaceable. We're not looking to pick a fight. We're not entering into conversation just so you know how much I know and you know I'm right. I like to be right. <laughs> Does anybody like to be right? Well, I hope we never disagree. No, I'm joking. Anyway, but um, we like to be right. But I'm look. What what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm, I'm cons- I want peace with you more than just to get one over on you. I, I want and that again. Applies to every relationship, including marriage. Is my goal here to be right and to win, or is it to to be at peace with you? That doesn't mean there won't be conflict, but if I'm coming at you, if I'm if I'm entering into a conversation with pure like with the word of God as my foundation, then I'm going to come and, and talk about it in the way Jesus did, which was peaceable and loving. Truthing and love and loving and truth. Uh, I'm going to be gentle. There'll be gentleness that flows out of that. I'm, I'm going to, I, have, I have rights. I have, you know, I have thoughts. I have an agenda. I have a plan for the day. I have things I want to happen. But I'm, I'm, I'm not going to assert that and assume that my agenda, my rights are more important than yours. I'm going to, again, that meekness comes to play. Open to reason. And this isn't being tossed about by every kind of wind and wave of doctrine. It's not open, oh, well, yeah, I don't know, maybe you're right. You know, it's not that. Like, just not being wishy-washy, but going, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> I'm going to value you. I'm going to assume, as a brother or sister in Christ, you have something to say. And it's important. And that I'm going to assume that Maybe I don't know everything. <laughs> but wisdom comes from being open to hear and to receive. In the way that we're open to God's Word, as we're submitting to Him, I'm going to be open to the fact that Bill could bring God's Word to bear in my life. And I need to listen. Because the Spirit's working through Him. Not just Bill, just He was right there. But everyone. But we're just going to assume that, yeah, we're all, you're for me and I'm for you. I'm open to reason. Uh, merciful. What is that? I'm not going to hold all of your wrongdoings against you. I'm not going to keep account of every time you failed me or done wrong. I'm going I'm to show mercy to you. Why? Because God shows mercy to me through Christ. I, I don't receive what I deserve. And so we'll have a, a fellowship that's, that where people are shown mercy. And they'll be, it'll be fruitful. Good fruits. 
Love, joy, wisdom, kindness, patience, gentleness, and self-control. There'll be, there'll be evidence in the fellowship of people loving one another and acts of kindness and love. And then finally, impartial and sincere. And another way to, 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 um, to uh, translate that word there in the Greek that says impartial is not double-minded or without uncertainty without uncertainty, that you will be certain about what's true and what's good, sincere, meaning that you're not trying to be two different people. You know what I mean by that? Sincere. When you say someone's sincere, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that they were just being honest in that one conversation, that moment, but when I'm, when I'm talking to you, I feel like you're really yourself. I feel like I'm really talking to you. I'm not, I'm not getting a, a version of you, a mass, the, the church version, the work version. I'm getting you. And we're, we're talking. Fruitfulness of wisdom are these things. Purity, peace, gentleness. Open, a listening ear, open to reason, showing mercy, exhibiting fruit, certain of the gospel, certain of God's word, and sincere, not trying to be two different people, not being two-faced, but being real with one another. That's what it looks like. That's That's how he describes it. It's a fruitfulness, and then there's peace, that comes with true wisdom. Look what he says at verse at the last verse, verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This harvest of righteousness, all these things we just listed in verse 17, they come about, they flourish, they grow in a context of peace by when as peacemakers sow them in peace. There's a lot of peace there, right? <laughs> a sign where the people answer this question, who is wise and understanding among you? James is saying when he looks at a church, he looks at a group of people, and he sees that there's peace and there's unity, he's going, ah, the wisdom of God is present. People who really know God. They're knowing Him and knowing His ways. It's, it's evident because there's peace and unity in their midst. What does it look like to be a peacemaker? Well, if you will, turn with me a few pages back to Acts 15. And we're going to read about... James, what James said in the council of Jerusalem as there was a conflict in their midst of how, how were Gentiles to be engrafted into the body of Christ. And there was, there was division. Should they become, have the, bear the marks of, of the Old Testament covenants, the circumcision? And, and, and here's what happened. All the assembly fell silent at the testimony of, as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, the James who wrote this, James, brother of Jesus, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take 
from them a people for his name. And with this the words of the prophets agree, just as it was written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from the ancient generations Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send them to Antioch and Paul with Paul and Barnabas. And so you see James, how does he, how's he a peacemaker? as a leader in the church, as a person of influence, what does he do? He listens. He listened to their testimony. He relayed it back. He was open to that. He heard them. And then he goes to the Scripture. He submits to God's Word. There's wisdom there. What does God say? He goes, from the, back, from the very beginning, there were people outside who were not Israelites, who were part of God's people. He goes back and remembers that. He goes back to the Scriptures. And he humbly submits a suggestion. Not, thus saith James, the brother of Jesus, but, hey, what do y'all think about this? (laughs) And they hear the wisdom, they hear that it comes from knowledge and from, uh, from humility, and there's peace in the church. And where division could have happened, and there had been many divisions in the church since, but at this point, it didn't happen. Because James was a peacemaker. James um, was sowing the fruit of righteousness in this context of peace. And, look, and that's, that's, the, that's our application. The application here is the question, what motivates you? Is it your agenda, your rights, your, your, reputation, your reputation? Is that what has to win at the end of the day? Or... Is what motivates you God's commands, God's love, His faithfulness to you, His will, His glory, and the needs and well-being of others. What motivates you? The way we maintain peace, unity in this church is by humbly submitting being wise, submitting to God's Word, and knowing Him. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him more and more and more for who He is to just be more real to us, for the Gospel to work in our hearts more and more. And as that happens, we will not be marked. Our fellowship, our church won't be marked by division and strife and vile and evil practice, but will be marked by these fruits of righteousness as we strive together in meekness to maintain this fellowship of peace and unity. Um, True wisdom and understanding of God results in good, beautiful living characterized by meekness which promotes and maintains peace with one another. This is hard to do. And just like we talked about, I don't give this to you, there's no, like, well, what do I go do tomorrow, Grant? It's, it's humble yourself before the Lord. Trust Him. Get to know Him. You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus more and more each day. And let His 
meekness, His love, His grace to you shape the way you deal with your family members, with your co-workers, with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at faith. God will do it. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. He will, when you submit yourself to Him, grow you in understanding and wisdom. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. And we pray that You would do that. You would, you would help us to see You more clearly. That we would submit to You, we would be in awe of You, and we would know You because uh, You have first known us. Help us to grow in that. And Lord, help us. Forgive us for when we fall short. Forgive us for when we, what drives us is our own, our own desires, our own thoughts of what's real and what's true. Lord, um, shape us. Again, just as we talked about how do, how, do we, how do we tame the tongue? We can't do it, but you can through your word. Lord, may your word, may your, the, the, the reality of who you are more and more uh, get in us and, 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 and conform us to that image, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.